This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. The World According to Wikipedia is a podcast that dons an old-fashioned diving suit to take a deep dive into the depths of Wikipedia with your intrepid hosts, Rebecca and Fanula. Each episode, we will talk to someone from the Wikimedia community, exploring topics such as harnessing the viral meme potential of Wikipedia articles, why librarians are Wikipedia's biggest fans, how Wikimedians created the largest photography competition in the world ever, and why do some Wikimedians love soft toys so much? Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. there lovely listeners how's it going and welcome to the film network ireland rap chat podcast i'm your host today mia malarkey and you can find this podcast on headstuff plus on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts and wherever you like to find your podcasts and today we have an absolutely incredible director ima reynolds she's a five-time ifta winning editor first before she started moving into directing uh, her first feature doc was here was cuba which was nominated for a grierson then she followed up with The Farthest, which is an Emmy-winning feature doc. And then followed up again with Songs for While I'm Away, which is a beautiful documentary about Phil Linnett. Um, and her latest release is a feature drama called Joyride, which is an absolutely uplifting, really fun romper-stomper film starring Olivia Coleman. Um, and it will have its cinematic release in Ireland and the UK this Friday. So it's very exciting to have her in the podcast studio. Emer for coming in and chatting with me today. Thanks for having me, Mia. And I want to say a huge congrats for your latest film, Joyride, which I got to see last week and I loved it. Thank you. Um, and maybe let's start a little bit with Joyride because sure. it's sort of a new departure for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's my first uh, feature drama. Um, I directed uh, three feature docs before this, so uh, this is a brand new uh, adventure, but brand new chapter. Yeah, amazing. And you've got... Uh, I, what I think is one of the best actresses ever. She's absolutely incredible. So how did you manage to get Olivia Coleman on board? Yeah, with with incredible stroke of good fortune. Um, she was the only actor I wanted to consider for Joy. I, of course, thought it was um, 
playing this guy, you know, there's no chance. The greatest, as you say, the greatest actress of her generation, perhaps mm. even more than that, and the busiest woman in show business that she would be available, interested. So, but we, we sent her the script, um, you know, reached out to her agent, sent her the script. I wrote her a letter and uh, yeah, she loved the part. She loved the script and she loved Joy in particular, you know, um, such a complex, irascible, erratic, filthy, mm-hmm. unpredictable woman and really, you know, wanted to talk to me. So we had a Zoom call. It was all during COVID. So it wasn't sadly, it wasn't me flying over to meet her in the Groucho Club. But um, we did it over Zoom and we got on great. And she had a couple of questions about the character. And then uh, on that call, out of nowhere, said, yeah, she was happy to do it. So I nearly fainted. It was uh-huh. the most exciting thing ever. But, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, so so lucky to have had her. She brings such incredible depth and richness mm. to the part. Absolutely. And it's a, a subversive role. I mean, the two lead characters are playing subversive roles. Um, Charlie Reed is sort of a teenage boy who should be at that rebellious phase, but he's actually got this amazing maternal intuition. And then she, just having had her first child, lacks exactly that. And she's kind of on this completely rebellious journey where she wants to throw it all away. So um, I can see maybe why Olivia Coleman would have been drawn to that. Like, it's quite fun and it's sort of a bit fresh. It's not familiar. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think certainly s- mothers in cinema, you know, tend to be floral and soft and agreeable and, um, you know, this this was a chance to open that conversation out to the idea of rejection or the idea of of childhood trauma not allowing you to accept your your, your place in the world and you know to, to to a journey it's a huge journey for joy in the film from where she starts which is hell bent on she, what she thinks is an incredibly logical decision give her baby up to her her friend who really wants children joy doesn't want any she'd been told by her mother her whole life you'd make a terrible mother you should never be a mother she totally uh, absorbed all of that and was living that life and and you know in the film she's very she's quite chaotic she's as i say filthy she's fun She's unpredictable. It's a real 360 version of of a woman and Mm. it's a real 360 version of motherhood, you know, Mm. even as she's learning spoilers, perhaps. But as she's learning during the course of the film that perhaps she could be a mother, that she's good enough, that she could be a mother. She's still not. uh, She doesn't pastelify or floralify. You know, she she stays this uh, vivid, loud, Mm. alive woman. And uh, I, for one, Love that, you know, that was yeah. a huge part of the draw for me when yeah. I read the script that Alva had written such a, a relatable woman, you know, even these days, I think to find a woman that's so complete, you know, that's whose inner life is as is as vivid and as unpredictable and as illogical as male lives have been presented on screen since the dawn of time was incredibly important. Mm. And then I adored Charlie Reed's performance. Yeah. I just thought, who is this kid? He was incredible because his role is probably equally as challenging as hers in that he's subverting our expectations as well by having all of this ability to care and nurture and, you know, having intuition, understanding people's emotions. And he's still a little rapscallion and a scallywag. But um, how did you find him and how how was he within that role? What was that journey like? We found him through um, a very, very long um, and protracted and extensive uh, casting troll. We st- we threw the doors open to a potential brand new talent. We weren't close to young boys who'd had experience either, you know, but it was really GAA clubs and dance clubs and rap clubs and everything. Just saying, is, is there a young boy who can play 13, 14 who, who, who might want to? So we, we started off with 
I think it was 1500 tapes, you know. Wow. Yeah. And and over, uh, I think, a four month period, we boiled it down to Charlie. And he, you know, all the car, all the boys, they're young men, all the what's the word for them? Yeah, I suppose boys. There's mm, they're yeah. really just boys. Um, they they did the ones that were in the hunt were doing multiple tapes. Charlie did uh, over six or seven read callbacks wow, and, and new scenes. And we were always testing him on all the different parts of the, of the character. And, uh, you know, he stayed at the wheel. He sta- he was one of the front runners from very early on. But mm. due process, we, we looked at everyone very carefully, gave them all their moment uh, and, mm. you know, really wanted to find the right person. So uh, he emerged victorious at the end. And I'm, I'm so privileged to have cast him. I feel he's got an incredible uh, career and life ahead of him. I hope he does because he's so brave. He's so instinctive. He's so real. He's so present. He's so trusting. Like, he's an incredibly... Uh, a live character mm. on set. He really trusts the part. He trusts the the scenes. You know, he jumps in with, you yeah. know, both feet. And you know, what you're saying about the the, the under undercutting. You know what you might expect from a young boy. His his role in the film. Um, you know, the, the central part of it, which is that he has these very strong maternal instincts. He's these very strong instincts towards babies and towards nurturing, perhaps having come from in the film, having lost his mother at a young age or not being parented very well by his gallywag father. Mm. But having having learned, you know, to stay human and, and connected with his humanity and connected with the, the love that babies bring into the world through his, you know, backstory of, of his niece in the film and you know he the character does in the film is very strong in the sense of he this boy is very very at ease with babies and feeding and all the business of being a mother in a way that joy isn't mm-hmm. you know so it's an incredibly powerful lesson where he helps her learn how to be a mother and Charlie Reed who I agree with you has such an extraordinary talent he worked really really hard as as a young actor to he didn't know babies. He had no babies yes, in his life. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, he had no babies in his life. It's so natural on camera. It looks like yeah. he's always been and around And he did kids. all of that. He mm. did all of that himself. He, We had a, a wonderful um, mother, Shalom Mulligan, who brought her two twin babies, six weeks old, onto set. They played the, the baby in the film. And Charlie and Shalom became great friends. And Charlie spent all his, you know, downtime when we'd be setting up rigging cars, whatever we were doing. He spent loads of his time in the trailer with Shalom and the babies learning how to change their nappies, how to comfort them and soothe them, how to feed them, how to play with them, you know. And he did all of that over, over his own bat. He knew that he needed to to learn it. And, mm. uh, you know, when you see him in the film, it looks like he's he's had babies swinging out of him since he was a it's young boy. so natural mm. looking, absolutely. And you just believe that he is passing on this really crucial wisdom to this woman who's supposed to have it innately, but she doesn't. And it's frightening for her and for him, it's completely second nature. Yeah. yeah. So, and he does it really beautifully. Um, yeah, I was very mesmerized by his performance because I just had never seen him before in anything. Yes, I mean, it was his first film role. He had mm. he'd done a lot of musical theatre since I think about the age of six or seven. He'd been in, you know, amateur or, you know, local uh, musical theatre stuff. He's an incredible singing voice, which was an incredible yeah, boon right. for the part because yeah. he has to sing. Um but uh, he had done maybe three or four days on a BBC CBeebies TV series. But apart from that, this was his very first role. So in the deep know. end. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, there's some scenes in the film that I know were shot on the first day and I still marvel at them. You know, mm. I was boring my editor every second day saying, can you believe that was Charlie on his first day? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. the depth, the the 
he's really, really there. He's really, mm. really present. And that's mm. really scary for an actor. You know, a lot of actors put barriers or, you know, it, yeah. as, as an as a response to the fear of it. Mm. But he, I'm not saying he had no fear. I think he was. But he embraced it. Just went for it, yeah, you know. Yeah. And, and it, it's it's really, really, it's really uh, extraordinary to see. It's it's empowering. It's it's really inspiring. He's an inspiring young man. Mm. And how was the experience for you as your debut feature drama? Because that's a huge leap, I guess. Like there's crossover with Doc with certain skill sets and sensibilities, but it's a whole new world. So how was that for you? I I think um, certainly my, you know, 20 plus years of experience as an editor really stood me in good stead. You know, um, the editor is very, very at the heart of all the decisions, even though they're not on the floor. They see all the decisions being played out, you know, and the editor is very, very central to all those conversations in the cut right through. You know, so I feel like I had incredible grounding. Uh, the big biggest thing being, I suppose, as an editor, you're in a room with incredible directors, so you're learning. I feel I learned a huge amount just from from hearing and absorbing and watching decisions being made and unmade and rode back on. And, you know, so I, I feel I had incredible, good um, education. Mm. And then the feature docs, like I, I kind of approached it the same way. You know, all my feature docs, I, I, none of them, they were all full full stories, histories, you know, they all had a beginning, middle and an end before I came. Like they weren't being, it was an obdoc where I was finding the ending or exploring, you know, they were all, so I approached them almost like that they were scripts, you know, and mm. then I, I almost approached the Joyride the same way I did that. I I asked myself the same questions. What is the best way to tell this story? What is the look and the feel we're trying to generate? Thinking about the tone, the music, the feel, how, how would this story and these characters be best served. And even though docs, they're contributors, not characters, it was the same conversation. How do how do I get them to trust me? How do I get them to reveal their humanity? How do I get them to trust the process and, and allow me and the film to see them and to reveal themselves? So I felt like it was the same journey. Um, I appreciate it's completely different and there was a whole load of new skills I had to learn. And for that, I'm so grateful to my team I had such such not only extraordinarily talented team of HRDs and general crew, but really, really generous uh, and supportive. You know, I, I didn't feel at any point there was a sense of, oh, well, you're a newbie. We'll just head off and do it the way we always do it. Nor did I feel there was a, you're a newbie. You don't know what you want. There was incredible buy in to allowing me the full suite of what I, I needed and for them supporting and suggesting and offering and I couldn't be. I couldn't. Although I, I think if anyone has seen your feature docs, it would be hard not to trust your vision. I think it would be a given that, like, okay, this lady knows what she's doing, even if it's her first time in this new medium. Like, she she has something there. So I think, like, maybe let's go back actually to those sure. to that journey. Um, you've done. You've directed three feature docs, and two of them I've seen. I think they're absolutely incredible. Um, unfortunately, I haven't seen the first one yet, but it's on my list. Um, so having come from editing, was it always your hope or intention that you would get into directing and specifically into documentary? Um, well, y yes and no. <laughs> I directed some shorts a, a long time ago. Um, and I think when I first started editing, I definitely wanted to direct. Um, and when I directed shorts, uh, while I loved it, I feel I wasn't quite ready for it. You know, like it was... Um, 
I went back to editing partly because I was being offered such great stuff as an editor, but also I, I, I kind of felt at that moment that wasn't the right moment for me. So even though directing was was in my sights and in my plans, I, I, you know, I, I I delayed, I delayed re-engaging with it and really only re-engaged with it kind of by accident. John Murray, who co-directed my first film, Heroes Cuba, with me, um, we had made a number of films together, documentaries together as him as producer, a director and me as editor. And we got along great and, you know, had a very close uh, collegial and, and very fruitful relationship. And he asked me, would I come on board and direct, uh, co-direct here with Cuba? And uh, I hadn't, you know, if I was thinking of getting back to directing, it was only ever drama. I hadn't thought about directing documentary, strangely, but I thought it was such an interesting challenge and, uh, you know, to dive in and learn I'm not a huge history buff, so this was about the Cuban Missile Crisis. So it was a brand new, refreshing, uh, challenging, and and in some ways safe uh, way to explore it. Because John was and uh, very was and is an incredibly accomplished director. So, but as soon as I started, as soon as I, we started working together and dreaming up the vision for it and dreaming up the approach, I mean, my um, every cell in my body was on fire. I just thought, oh. <laughs> this is this is what I love. This is what I've been not doing, you know, for whatever reason for so many years. So, yeah, lit up like a Christmas tree and um, then, you know, opened myself to the idea of directing and the idea and the three feature docs almost happened. Just they happened very fast. It wasn't that I wasn't doing drama. I was looking at various scripts and books, but they were just all very, very compelling and very in some ways ready to go. So uh, then I got a call in. Sorry, this might be jumping ahead, but Aoife O'Sullivan, who produced Joyride, just called me out of the blue in 2018 and said, I see you're directing. Are you, is it only docs? And I said, no, 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 drama. Drama's my thing. And she said, oh, I have a script here you might want to read. They'd been developing it for a number of years, hadn't quite found the right voice for it. But uh, so I read it, loved it. And here we are. Amazing. So you, they were kind of running parallel, your, the, the doc and the drama. So kind of going back a little then to the doc, so you did this story on the Cuban Missile and I guess that was that informed you a lot in terms of like what you're able to do and how the process unfolds when you're there from the start to the finish and and how much of that then were you able to take to the farthest which was your your second doc yeah I mean absolutely learning on the on the job but realizing the extent of your reach or you know what you can and can't control what you can and can't do and and more um more importantly, probably for me, what I do and don't like, you know, mm. like what, how I want to see it unfold and what matters to me. And, you know, realizing very early on in here was Cuba and, and then it came to fruition, I think, uh, in in the farthest was realizing, uh, you know, that what mattered to me in terms of the approach was was, you know, quite an authored style, quite a, a stylized style visually. But in particular, the the, cent, the centrality of the contributors and, and their humanity. You know, I had up over my desk honesty, humanity, humor and heart, you know, and it's about realizing very early on. And here was Cuba. And as I said, came to I think it, it, it's, you know, came to really fruition in the farthest, realizing what I was interested in was heart. What I was interested in was tapping into the contributors, trusting me and, um, you know, they are th- these scientists on the farthest, for example, had spent maybe 40 years being asked scientific questions. You know, they were dab hand and dashing off the, you know, what did we discover on Jupiter? Bum, 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 X number of moons. But they, they were almost dying 
I came in and I said, I, I, you know, I'm not, it's not that I want to douse the science. I'm not. But the film is the film is ostensibly about this spacecraft and about this scientific journey and these incredible adventures in outer space or in the out to the outer planets. And, and it's an incredible scientific story. And the film was about that. But it was, you know, really, it was about love. It was about philosophy. It was about who we are as people. Are we alone? What's the end of time? You know, like it, it was these huge questions. And I. I asked all these scientists and engineers to, you know, to in some ways throw off their white coat and and allow me into that. What's it like to dream this spacecraft up out of nowhere, built it, sent it off out into the cosmos? How does it feel? You know, how does it? They were the questions. How does mm. it feel as opposed to what did you? What were the <laughs> the minutiae of what you discovered? Mm. Whilst having both, I'm a huge science and space fan, and I wanted to make a film about science and space that would 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 tap into that enthusiasm that childlike wonder and 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 you know, one of my favorite reviews of it, you know said something like hell yeah science and I was like, <laughs> yeah that's it you know that mm. was what I was after whilst also asking these uh, incredible engineers and scientists you know tell me how it felt tell me how it feels what does it feel like to to send a piece of yourself out there and, and explore uh explore the universe yeah it's a beautiful film and as you say it's kind of a study on human nature as much as on that specific scientific event and this innate curiosity we have and this desire to reach out and say hello to someone out there and so yeah you come out feeling very um uplifted about something intrinsic to our nature this ability to collaborate and envision and so yeah it's a very uplifting film um and then from there you kind of made the fill in it doc quite quickly there was like you haven't had gaps really have you in the last <laughs> few years it's yeah. been all go no yeah the fill in it film um it, alan marr who's one of the producers approached me just as the farthest was fill- f- finishing its kind of theatrical run he'd heard that i was a thin lizzie fan which i was since i was a teenager and uh said that they were exploring making a film it was you know a number of people have tried to make the story of Phil in it Philip line it I'm supposed to say line it is the correct t- pronunciation ah, but uh-huh. <laughs> I haven't mastered it in years <laughs> sorry sorry to the line it's um and a number of people have tried to make it I'm sure you were aware of it number of dramas number of feature docs but it, it never came to fruition you know mm. it's the perfect story waiting to be made but it never seemed to have its moment and now it, its moment was suddenly you know coming to it was about to be born. The family and the estate were ready to to tell that story. So he asked, "Would I, would I like to come in and and pitch for it and and see what, what sort of film I'd like to make?" And uh, yeah, I nearly bit his arm off. I thought it was so exciting, <laughs> a real dream come true for me as a childhood hero of mine, Phil Lynott. And uh, so I wrote something, and I met the family, and uh, it all happened very quickly. I think that was like January twenty eighteen, and we were shooting by uh, October. Mm. So it all happened really fast. And, and uh, I, it feels like your um, sensibilities as an editor play a big part because there is so much archive and there's so much audio and there's, there's a lot of layers being woven. And so you're kind of moving through many, many decades because it goes through his mother's story and then all the way through his story and then the kind of aftermath of his wife and daughters. And so I feel like a lot of your um, intuitions that you've probably built up over 20 years as an editor came to fruition in that film really beautifully. Yeah, I, I mean, I really, the good thing I haven't been an editor for so long is I really, really trust, <laughs> I trust that the process, um, I'm open to investigating and I'm open to not having all the answers, you know, and, and I trust that we'll find a way to make things shine. 
And even if it involves 22 hours of audio interview from a radio station in Sweden filmed in 1979, like I know that if you're patient and if you explore it and open yourself, you'll find you find ways to, 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 to tap into what you're after, what you're looking for. But of course, I, on, on both on the Philo-Lina, film and on the farthest and indeed now on Joyride, I had the benefit of having, uh, of not editing them myself. I mm. edited my first one myself. My yeah. These were edited by uh, incredible um, editor Tony Cranston, who, uh, you know, I'm so blessed to have had him because not only is he an incredibly talented, individual, iconic editor who sees things in a really, really quirky and interesting way. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible ally. He's an incredible supporter. He's incredibly, you know, in the best way, argumentative, stubborn. You know, he'll really, he'll really you. fight. Yeah, mm-hmm. and absolutely really feel that the films were forged in the kind of the jungle of the recording room, you know, where yeah. where everything has to be tested. Mm-hmm. You need to ask the question, is that right? Is that where you want to go? Is that Are you making that link? Is that wrong? You know, mm. asking me to turn, him leading me even more than I'd have done so myself around to look, turning things around and looking at them from all, all sorts of different ways. So I was so blessed to have had him. And did you have any of those sort of terrifying moments early in the edit where you're like, oh no, what is this? Or what are we making? Or I, I just, I know from sometimes when I'm making something, the first assembly, it's not what you had dreamed of or you're like, oh, no, OK, we need to go on a big journey with this. I, I, I don't know what it is yet at all. I thought I knew. So did you have any of those kind of moments? Um, not really, um, but that's a little bit because I'm, you know, I'm, as I said, I kind of write them as kind of, uh, I'm very, very organized. I do a huge amount of um, scripting before I get there. And I don't mean I don't mean paper edits. I just mean I uh, almost like I see the chapters unfolding, you know, so um Biggest biggest shock, I think, at, a, at at assembly stage on all of them has been the length of them. Mm. <laughs> you wanted them to be, you know, you, you need them to be much shorter than they, they kind of naturally fall. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the extraordinary uh, struggle then to uh, tighten, to lose, you know, mm. to lose material that you, you think is fantastic, you know, and uh, the grief that you never quite get over something mm. that you've had to cut. Are there moments from your docs that you still feel like, oh, yeah, if only, if only? Absolutely. The farthest in particular, I think that our first cut was three hours long, like it was huge. Mm. And uh, I mean, the farthest, because it's such an extraordinary journey, you know, out into outer space is uh, probably should have been a series. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Even the film is two hours long. People think that's too long, but I, I could have done with another uh, another 40 minutes, please. Yeah, yeah. So. And I guess then moving into your feature drama so with let's say the farthest there's a beautiful visual style running through it and you've got these kind of um, motifs where you're really close up on a record or you're kind of reinterpreting the story with beautiful visual motifs um, and but but always then still going back to a lot of interviews and a lot of the material that NASA would have captured mm-hmm. Um, and likewise with Phil Linet, and I'll pronounce that probably from now on. <laughs> Fantastic. I never knew. Um, there's a lot of archives. So you are shooting fresh material, but you're also relying hugely on archive. Um, and then with Joyride, the, the pressure on you now is to completely envision everything. You can't rely on any material except for what you envision. So how was that process? You know, it was... Um fantastically interesting more you know exciting and 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 new and and understanding also that I couldn't control it you know perhaps the way I had controlled all 
the farthest down in, in the Phil Innett film, Phil Innett film, um, we did an awful lot of student studio shooting. You see all that, that imagery, you know, incredibly controlled uh, lighting setups and, and exactness with lenses and, you know, precision, almost mm-hmm. like pack shots, you know, for a commercial, like really, really intricate. Joyride was never going to be that. Joyride was a five day, five week shoot. 20 of them were out on the road, you know, 20 of them were outdoors where I didn't have control over the lighting. You know, I was going to have to embrace um, the landscape, the weather. There was upwards of 14, I think, vehicles that we were rigging and journeying in. So it was really, really interesting to start with something that couldn't be controlled, you know, and then to try to articulate how then do you... uh, envisage it how then do you imagine how you know what what where are the places in it where you can have a voice you know Mm. and uh, I mean incredible designer Joe Fallover who's done all my films with me James Mather brilliant cinematographer was my cinematographer first time I'd worked with him so beautiful designer uh, costume designer Kathy Strachan and really finding finding that language finding the language for what how then does this new set of circumstances um, inform the vision Mm. And and it happened, it happened pretty quickly. You know, it happened pretty quickly in the sense of um, allowing the feel and the look to be um, to be vivid and boisterous and loud. You know, to put her in this kind of sunflower coloured coat so that she'd stand out against the landscape. She's gonna be walking over mountains. She's gonna be, you know, on on the side of roads. You know, that we would give her. And it was always coming from the point of view of character. You know, character character of joy thinks she's going on holidays when she's solved this minor problem in her life having had this baby and she's going on holidays to Lanzarote and and, and a little bit excuse my language a little bit of you know mm, fuck you. you about it you mm. know uh, and and so she she's she's got that energy and we wanted to bring all of that to the costume so really finding and, and articulating how I could like my next film that I'm I'm, I'm, I'm not quite in prep for but I hope to shoot next next year is probably closer to the style of, of the farthest and the fill in it film where it's a lot of interiors, it's mm. set in 1988, you know, it's a more controlled environment. Um, Joyride was real, uh, you know, trial by fire, you know, mm. this is this is a new outdoorsy uh, element, you know, and you know, and you need to you need to embrace it. And how then do you still have a voice or how or what is your voice? Mm. And did you like storyboard it? Were you very sort of meticulous with your imagery or were you sort of as you say, responding day by day to the elements, to the landscapes, and you just had to work on your feet, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, it, it, it what is it? Uh, life happens when you're busy making other plans. You know, mm. it'll make a fool of you if you if you're too rigid because, you know, there's no so much you can't control. But we did. We did a huge amount. James and I did a huge amount of storyboarding and planning and wrecking. Like we had upwards of 50 something locations, short shoot. You know, it required a huge amount of pre-planning and thought. So five weeks and 50 locations and 14 car rigs. (laughs) (laughs) And a baby and and stunts (laughs) and paparazzi. Uh, You know, like Uh, it was a huge challenge, but mm. uh, an incredible crew bought into it. You know, we had great. The feel, the feeling of the film is it's about hope and healing. It's about friendship. It's about and it's never too late to forgive yourself. It's never too late to have a happy childhood, you know, to, mm. to realize you are enough. And, and that feeling was in the crew, you know, that feeling was on the floor mm. um, led by everyone. You know, that feeling of shared endeavor, collective effort. And uh, yeah, well, we made loads of plans, huge amount of plans. And then 
merrily threw them out when when it called for it. You know, there's a you you'll know the scene in the film where they where they're on the back of a tractor trailer with this giant baby paper mache mm. head and they're traveling down this valley um, chatting and that f- that scene ended up being shot in a monsoon <laughs> with uh-huh. all we could do is kind of you know get one shot of them on the back we followed them down the hill on this tractor it was lashing rain no time to re- reshoot it no time to reschedule it it wasn't planned like that at all you know I had all sorts of cover planned mm. on top of the on the trailer with them and but uh, you know needs must in the mother invention and and now the film being just one shot on the back of a trailer down a mountain in a lashing storm I think is is really iconic and really interesting sort you know of more Fellini. comedic yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's very comedic that yeah. moment and the and yet it's it's counterpointed it's comedic looking because mm. it's so odd and surreal and yet she's talking she says some of the most important lines in the film in there she says you know my mother said it'd be better for everyone if I never had a child you know so mm. she's I think it really encapsulates what the film is doing you know it's it, it's it's you know, not the, quite the quick quick slow but the, you know the laughter and tears and, and uh, all mushed together in a, in a you know like life you know mm-hmm. that that it's not a straight line mm-hmm. and you just mentioned that there's another film that you're hoping to work on next year are you able to talk about that at all or oh, sure yeah um you know it's a it's an adaptation of a Dublin novel called Montpellier Parade which was written by Carl Geary wonderful Irish writer and um, it's a kind of a dark love story or tragic love story from a, between an older woman and a younger guy and um, we have some significant cast attached so we're hoping to go uh, early next year exciting yeah oh, that's great and uh, what what do you feel you've taken from this um, first film that you can now bring into your next feature drama? Like it gives you incredible confidence um, to make it, you know, to, to you know, the, you know, yourself, the weeks are tough, you know, there's long, long days and, you know, the, the stamina required to hold the line, to hold your vision, to hold your confidence, to hold your trust in the process is, takes a massive amount of effort. I learned a huge amount about, um, working with you know outside players you know you, you you learn a huge amount about all the voices that come in in the cutting room during the the approvals phase embracing all the competing voices perhaps sometimes competing and trying to find a way through um and feeling i love joyride i think it's a really uh beautiful emotional funny cathartic healing film and mm. uh, i'm really proud of it and i really hope it connects hope it gets an audience and it connects and people really enjoy it you know and um i feel i feel the confidence i feel incredible amount of confidence by actors in particular you know going into um, montpellier parade feeling increased clarity about um that process about talking and and revealing and and asking you know hoping for them to trust the process and trust me i feel i feel confident in it and actually i also feel confident in um this time was the first time, as I say, working with James Mather. I had previously only worked with Kate McCulloch, you know, and mm. when Kate couldn't do it, um, I was kind of, you know, in bits. It was like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah, dr- directors could become very dependent on key HODs. I was very dependent on Kate. And and then the process of learning to work with a new cinematographer, you know, James was wonderful. I really think he did an incredible job. And so I feel confident now that 
worst case scenario, mm. you know, if people I want to work with can't do it, that I'm, I, I feel the confidence that I'd be able to express it and, and, and hook in and, and empower somebody else. So that's a really, that was mm. a really, really nice journey for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exciting. I, I can't wait to hear and see this new production. It's very exciting. And I guess maybe we can sort of, or what I'd love to ask you is, you you started out and you you did a couple you did a bunch of shorts and then you found editing and you sort of fell in love with that and you pursued that for a long time and that gave you this really strong sensibility and insight that you were able to then bring to directing so i love when people haven't had a really obvious road into directing films um and kind of come at it from some other angle and they bring something fresh or new then so i guess i'd love to ask you what would you say to other people who are sort of hungry to direct or it's you know something they've always wanted but are maybe afraid to try? What would you sort of say to those people? Uh, you know, there is no straight road in. Um, and in truth, um, all the roads can lead there if, if you apply yourself and you're, you you're open and you investigate what your skills are and you're open to learning the skills you may need. So certainly being on set or being in a cutting room or being in a production office or being a script editor, you know, being an actor, all those all those roads can lead. There is no one type of director. There's no one type of best person to be a director, you know, great ADs, you know, Compose and whoever wants can can try it, and and you just need to to be clear eyed about perhaps trying to understand what the skill set might call for, and try to learn some of those skills, you know, and trying to be to be open for it. I uh, yeah, I took a circuitous route. I think a lot of directors do, and uh, there's no right way of doing it. There's only the open hearted curiosity that it requires, and uh, I'd say go for it. You know. Uh, yeah, just go for it. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I really enjoyed that chat. It Pleasure. was great. Thank you so much for Lovely. having me. Thank you.